Well, I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Redeemer Church, and we're thankful for you guys. And today we're going to be looking at the passage in Isaiah 61 that was read earlier. And, you know, just as an introduction, I would just say I'm just truly amazed at how the world unanimously agrees, whether they're rich or poor or Democrat or Republican, whether they're educated or uneducated or religious or unreligious, we live in a world that's other than paradise, right? Everybody can agree on that, no matter where you're from. Something's not right in the world that we live in. We all acknowledge, too, that we have a desire and a longing for things to be made right. A longing for wholeness to come. A longing for the brokenness to end. In fact, every candidate that runs in our country runs on that platform, right? I'm going to make this a better place. I'm going to make the world more whole. I'm going to make things complete and better. I suspect that's where most of our superheroes come from, is the desire that someone would rescue us. Most of our fairy tales that we teach our kids is a longing that there's something that can put back together the fractures in our culture and the fractures in our world. You'd think after thousands of years, we as the human race would have learned to look outside of ourselves for salvation. To look outside of ourselves and beyond our strategies and our resources for hope. Israel had the same problem that we have. They're always looking to the world and to the things in their world to bring salvation. They're always looking for someone else to bring beauty for ashes, someone that could turn water into wine. One of the things, as we look at verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has. Anytime there's a movement in our world to fix the brokenness in our world, it's because the Spirit of the Lord is concerned about the brokenness in our world. It's not because man is concerned primarily, it's because God is concerned. Isaiah 32, 15 through 17 says, Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. Not until God's Spirit moves. Not until God in His sovereign, gracious favor pours out upon us His goodness and love can our world be fixed. God has shown this time and time again in the Scriptures. Just like God's Spirit through Christ moved into the dark and void of the demonic man and brought order, it is only God who can bring beauty for our ashes. 
So God's Word and God's Spirit is our only hope for restoration. God has to move. God has to move into the broken places in our lives and our neighborhoods and our world. And more than anyone else, it is God, again, that desires wholeness for our lives, that desires peace for our lives. You see, the answer to wholeness never lies within. It's one of the reasonablenesses to the virgin birth that we as God's church need to hang on to. Right? If salvation comes from without and Jesus is our hope and there is no virgin birth, then Christ is just a sinner. And no sinner can bring wholeness to a broken world. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But brokenness can't fix brokenness. That is the reason that Christ came as God's Spirit moved upon Mary. And God in His favor came to bring hope. Hope to our chaos. And the thing that's so neat is that God came as a person to bring, to enter into our world, to enter into our chaos with a message of hope. Verse 1 says that God anointed me to bring good news, talking about Christ to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. There's a lot to be learned from that little passage about evangelism. How did God come? Did He come in His fame and His power? In His majesty? No, He came humbly. He came as a child. He entered into our mess not as a know-it-all adult, but as a baby, as an infant. Think about that. Ponder that. That when God moved into the brokenness of our society and our lives, He didn't didn't come and say, get it together. He didn't come like us as middle-class Americans often say and make better decisions. Jesus didn't come that way. He came as a, a baby. The God of the universe moved into our brokenness moved into our pain as an infant. I think about the passage where God says that a flickering wick He would not put out, a bruised reed He would not break. I think we as God's church have a lot to learn when we move into the broken places of our city and how we move into the broken places of our city. That we not move in with all the right answers, but we move in like a baby. Humble, thankful, and grateful that God in His Spirit has healed us. That God in His Spirit is the reason you sit where you sit in our culture. Not your education, 
not how smart you are, but because of God's favor in your life. That changes how you see people, doesn't it? It changes everything. You see, God is a be with them kind of God. He's not a tell them how to get it together kind of God. He's a, he's a be with them kind of God. And God wants us to be a be with them kind of church. He wants us to be a search them out kind of church. A seek to understand before giving all your answers to why people are in the place that they are. God is a gracious king, isn't he? He's so gracious. He's so kind and generous. He comes with good news and he comes proclaiming. That's the reason that we have missionaries. That's the reason that we have pastors. But he also comes demonstrating. He doesn't just come preaching. He comes healing. He comes kneeling down beside those that are broken and mending them. That's the reason he spends time and he heals the blind and he causes the lame to walk and he touches those with leprosy. The gospel is to be heard and the gospel is to be seen. And don't get out of balance with either one of those. The gospel is to be heard and the gospel is to be seen. The incarnation of Christ. Christ came to restore the fragmented places of our world and our lives. Verse 3 says, To grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit and as I read that, I just think about the parallel verse of Titus 3, 3-7 that says this, For we ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sounds like ashes to me. But... When the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, hear this church. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I don't hear any get it together in that passage, do you guys? Do any of you here pick yourself up by your bootstraps? Because that's not what I hear from God's Word there. It makes me think about 9-11, the whole beauty for ashes. When I when I remember where I was during 9-11, I remember those that were jumping out of the windows. 
And I think about the ash heap of those two buildings when they came down. And I think about beauty for ashes. I'm like, God, how? How, how can beauty come out of an ash heap like that? How can joy come out of such despair and hurt and pain? We live in a world of bad news. That's a fact. And whether it comes like a flash flood late at night with a phone call, if you've ever gotten one of those, or a quick diagnosis of cancer, we live in a bad news kind of world, an ash heap kind of world. The things that come to mind is that unexpected duck boat, right? That's what I think about when I think about ashes and I think about mourning. Whole families lost. I think about the wedding party. Remember the whole wedding party, I think, that was killed in the car accident? And I'm like, God, how, how, how can you bring beauty out of that? How can you bring hope out of that? Some of us, it doesn't come suddenly. It just comes like tiny little raindrops over 50 or 60 years of disappointments, unmet goals and unmet expectations. There's an article by Scott Hubbard. And he's an editor for Desiring God, and this is what it says. I want you to think about this because you're going to land somewhere in this. Bad news comes as surely as the world is cursed. If you receive enough of it, you may start to take self-protective measures. You look for refuge in cynicism, preparing yourself for the worst by only expecting the worst. Or you slide into apathy, telling yourself that others, that you don't really care what kind of news you receive. Or you hide away in isolation, avoiding relationships or situations that might harm you. You begin to dismiss risky opportunities out of hand. You don't try to adopt a child or give to a missionary or cultivate deep friendships or even ask someone out on a date because you're fearful of potential bad news. You ever been there? What is it like to live like that? It's sad. It's a prison, isn't it? It's a prison to sit around and wonder when the next shoe is going to fall. I want you to know something, church. You don't have to live like that. I don't have to live like that. I don't have to stand up here and worry if I'm going to get another word out before I die. Because we have a God who takes pain and turns it into joy. Listen to Psalms 
1.12. For the righteous, listen, will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady, and he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. What a great verse for people who live in a world of bad news. I want you to hear what that says. It says that we have a God that can take ashes and turn them into beauty. That we believe in a God who calls things that are not as though they are. That a God that takes nothing and creates everything. There's always a glimmer of hope in the clouds of the Christian's life of despair because of God. Not because of us, but because of God and His goodness and His favor shown to us in Christ because God moved into our messiness. Because God came into our world. Not because you went looking for Him. Because He went looking for you. Verse 3 says this, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that He may be glorified. That they who had nothing to offer, that they that had nothing to give, that they who were hopeless, they will be called oaks of righteousness. That they will be called evergreens. Jeremiah 17.8 says, He, like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots in the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You see the miracle of the Gospel? That God takes those that are broken that those that are an ash heap of mourning and misery and despair, and He turns them into oaks of righteousness. He turns them into evergreens. He turns them into people who others will come to to find shade and rest and food and comfort. Not because of us, but because of God's grace and His goodness. They shall be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord's glory. Those who were once deserts of dry death by God's grace have become fountains of living water. And then if we go on to verse 4, it just gets better. Not only will they be called oaks of righteousness, but it is they who will rebuild the ancient ruins, and they shall raise up the former devastations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. 
Have you ever noticed in the Scriptures how God always uses some kind of foolish way to rescue and redeem and restore the world, right? He uses some crazy, foolish person like Gideon who's shaking in his boots. He uses Hannah who cannot even have a son and gives her Samuel. See, God works like that on purpose, guys. So that He might be glorified and we might be grateful and thankful. As I read that verse, it carried my mind to many places in our city and in our world. And the first thing that came to mind when I read this verse is I thought about the devastations that are generational in our city over the issue of race. You don't think there's any issues, some of you? Just look around in this room. Doesn't look very much like God's kingdom to me in Revelations. Our cities has a lot of deep devastations. And the issue of race is one of them. I thought about the last slave ship. The schooner. I don't even know how to pronounce it. I think it's Clotilda that set port in Mobile in 1859 with 110 to 160 people created in the image of God. You don't think our city has some ashes that need to be turned to beauty. Then what about 1981 when Michael Donald's body was hung from a tree the last lynching in the United States of America. That's what I think about when I think about God using those who are broken and those who are hopeless to rebuild the past devastations of our city. Do you believe that God can do that? Do you believe God can do that in our schools? In our churches? The Bible talks about a God who gives beauty for ashes. Who can birth beauty out of bad news. It's those, us, who were once called the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel, that God brought to life by His mercy and grace. And God is calling us to move out into the places of brokenness in our city with the message of Christ and with our hands and our feet. And it is those that came out of the Valley of Dry Bone that verse 6 says, but you shall be called the priest of the Lord they shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. It is those, us, who needed sacrifice the most, who are now priests 
will not only rebuild the ruins and the devastations of our world, but we're the priest. We're the priesthood of believers. We're those who bear the weight and the brokenness of others and go before Christ and intercede on their behalf. You are a chosen race and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous lights. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 7 goes on to say that instead of shame, you're going to get a double portion. Instead of what you deserve, you're going to get heaven. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot or their inheritance. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion and they shall have everlasting joy. I want you to understand the virgin birth is important. And don't let anyone tell you it's not. Because if God's Spirit had not moved on Mary and brought Jesus into this world in a supernatural way, there would be no beauty for ashes. There would be no hope of reconciling our city when it comes to the issue of race. But I want you to understand that just like God moved into the brokenness of your world, I'm talking about your mess and my mess, God expects us to move into the broken and the messy places in our neighborhoods, in the messy and places of your own family, your own brokenness, and we're all broken. If you're not broken, then Jesus didn't come for you. Right? It says He didn't come for the, those who were well. He came for those who were sick. Because we look to the city whose maker and builder is God, we ought to be busy in our city seeking to bring that reality to earth. Wouldn't that be neat if Jesus just brought heaven down to earth here in Mobile. Can, can you just imagine for a minute what our city would look like if Jesus brought heaven here? Ponder that for a minute. Dream about that. Let that make you long for Jesus to come back. And the reason we as Christians ought to seek that goal so hard, listen, it, it, it's not going to happen until Jesus comes back. But we ought to be striving for that city because we are certain that it's going to come one day. Not only should we move into the places of our city, but because God brings beauty for ashes, it ought to make each of us move into the places in the dark ashes of our own heart. 
We ought to be willing to go to the hard and the cold and the dead places in our heart. Because we believe that resurrection can happen in those places. You believe that? You believe that, church? Some of you here have undergone some devastating things in your life. Abuse, maybe even sexual abuse, divorce, heartache. I mean some devastating things. You know Christ wants to move into those areas? You know that He, he, he wants to bring wholeness to those places. Do you believe He can do that? You know, Ben talked about community and our prayer for our church is that we could truly be a community that could come in and say, hey, look, look, look at this big gunshot wound. You see this? Ryan, you still, you still love me? You still think there's hope for Christ to deal with this? See, that's what church is for. It's not for us to come and act like we have it all together and we all love God with all of our heart, mind, and strength, because we don't. The church is a place for the broken to come. And, and every week, we should be pointing one another to Christ, who is our hope. He's the only one who can bring beauty for our ashes. That's the kind of church that we'd like to be. Have the courage to move into the brokenness in your own heart, in your own community, because Jesus was born to bring beauty for ashes. Let me pray for us.